also I would like to thank the people that are here to support this bill. Where y'all at? Okay. And I also would like to give thanks to all these petitioners, because we actually consulted the people in the neighborhood. We got there, you know, we wanted to know how they felt about what was going on in their communities. Unlike a lot of these agencies, we actually consulted the people in the communities, okay? And we got almost a thousand names uh, on these uh, petition forms. Some of them are still out. So, and what the petition says is, to, uh, to Mayor Pugh, the Baltimore City Council, Governor Hogan, the Maryland State Legislature, and the U.S. Congress, yes, I agree that we should, one, end the displacement of people from their neighborhoods and end the destruction of their communities just to give land and taxpayer subsidies to developers and investors. Two, introduce the 1% interest renovation slash rebuilding loan dollar house dollar lot program because the house will be built from the ground up for the individual citizen as a fairest way to ensure funds earmarked for the community are used to help the people who actually live there with training, jobs, and home ownership. Number three, end the destruction of the remaining affordable housing stock in Baltimore, a city with a documented lack of affordable housing. I've seen people walking around the street scared to death. But you know what? If they live in a decent house, that they will eventually have a deed to, they straighten up their back. They have a little bit of pride. If you see those brothers slinging on the corner, if they had a trade, they could know how to go and make a decent living and not have to run from the police. We have a murder rate of almost 300 young people in this city. Suppose somebody gave a tenth of them a job where they could take a paycheck to the bank and cash it for real dollars. And suppose me, a 68-year lady, doesn't have to worry, I got to get out of here before it gets too dark. Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is real simple. Help the brother that's trying to help the rest of us. We got his back. And if you play your cards right, we'll have your back. We've got to be the, the, the lightning rod in this nation because every urban city in this country, through conspiracies, find themselves with thousands of abandoned houses. Don't tell me that's not by design. We've got to break out of that genocidal approach to people who want to live and have a right to, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let there be no doubt. Justice delayed is justice denied. Welcome to a special edition of the Call Tyrone Show. Uh, we're going to make it play in this edition. And uh, what we, we are back, and I'm sitting in my capacity as your humble host, Tyrone Boast. I'm sitting here in my capacity as the president of Holmes today. And Holmes is the organization um, that <clears throat> um, we, we're heading up here in Baltimore and home stands for home ownership, opportunity, and mentorship for economic success. And this show actually serves to give the analytical the analytical basis uh, for our program. And uh, first, right off the bat, um, what we're going to do, um, one of our members, uh, Ms. Ms. Dar Darlene Gore, she uh, a very accomplished individual, and I'll let you uh, I'll let her tell you for herself. She's a very uh, accomplished individual. And uh, she's the treasurer, secretary of our organization. I mean, she used to work for, she's retired from the IRS, so <laughs> that would be uh, the treasurer of the organization. And then later on, we will go over the history of the original Dollar House program, why it worked, and, um, you know, the, which is why we want to apply it this time, because it worked. It was an unmitigated success. Nobody doubts that. We're going to read the actual history because people, what people do, generally do, and just about every meeting we have with the city, people tend to try to change the story, but... That story is posted to our website, by the way, along with other documents that su support what we're doing. And the website is www.baltimore4homes.com. www.baltimore4homes.com. We've had thousands of hits there so far. Um, so feel free to uh, um, look at our – because we, we, one thing you learn about me by listening to my show is that I love to share my research because – I know what I'm talking about because I've researched this stuff and just about everything that comes out of my mouth I've read somewhere 
Okay. So, um, uh, and there's nobody, no, not, not too many people in, in this, you know, not, especially in the housing department that ha- has three master licenses in, uh, in trades, you know, in the building trades. Nobody, not downtown, I don't think, because they're not paying enough money for that. Or, or, and I'm not bragging on myself, I'm just saying what it is. Or, uh, and at the same time, a, a, um, has a bachelor's degree and a retired uh, a military officer, okay, from the Army with, with uh, two combat tours on his belt, where I've actually built things overseas and, uh, you know, in places like Egypt, uh, Kuwait, and places like that. You know, uh, defending this country while while other people are playing lip service at ball games. Okay, so that being the case, when I come back to my country and I see my own community and the shape that is in, it's unacceptable for me. You know, I'm not the type of person that can do that. Just come back to the community and see, you know, the um, the amount of damage uh, in my community and not try to at least try to do something about it, you know, knowing the talents that I possess and, and my God given talents and with the help of other people that got me where I, where I, where I am, because I don't believe in the bootstrap myth. And we're going to be attacking that. When people say they pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, then what they're generally saying is that that means you need to do it. And I have no responsibility for you for helping you. You know, now that I'm, now that I'm here where I'm at, I'm going to pull that ladder up behind me and let you deal with the lions and the Tigers while I make my escape. So that's what that bootstrap, and and Clarence Thomas, one of the most famous uh, boot uh, strap adherents, his friends will tell you that he's never had a job that he didn't didn't get because he was black. (laughs) And he voted against every affirmative action program that ever came uh, before the Supreme Court or or every affirmative action ruling, any type of freedom for anybody. He's voted against it uh, consistently. Okay, so he's the biggest hypocrite on the Supreme Court, and he's definitely not qualified. And it's a doggone shame that he would replace uh, Thurgood Marshall. Not even a comparison. Thurgood Marshall almost got lynched down south. They put him in the car and everything. The only thing got him got him out of it was a white lawyer would have to be with him and told him, you're not going to lynch this man. And they, you know, they had to release him. So you think Colonel Charlesman went down south trying to defend um, uh, black people's right to defend their homes when, you know, um, a lynch mob was going to um, burn their homes down? Um because a black man who had returned from World War II and went to his mother to a radio shop and they wouldn't give her her radio back and gave her a whole lot of nonsense, they going to strike his mother. So that that black World War II veteran, back in those days, he was in the Navy. In those days, the Navy, you know, they sunk naval ships back in those days. The Japanese would sink those ships. You would fight on a naval ship. So he was not about to let his mother uh, get beat down. So he intervened and he beat that that. um you know, he's tried to take his mother to leave, but the the, the uh, shop owner, the radio, this is a true story. The radio shop owner hit him in the back of his head. Wrong answer. He didn't go down. So he ended up beating this guy down and throwing him out of a plate, his own plate glass window and uh, in defense of his mother. <laughs> and and the crowd saw this, what, a black man beating, you know, fighting back? I mean, come on, beat, oh, knock down, drag out, fight? No. So they were going to burn the city. They were going to burn the black part of town down. Similar to what happened in Tulsa. If you know about history, Tulsa and, and uh and the other, um, what was the other, Rosewood. They were going to do that to that town. And, um, you know, they, the, the, the black veterans and everybody in the town got together and they got their guns and, and no, you're not going to do this. You're not going to do a Tulsa here. And they stopped it. You know, they, they, they had some guy trying to come down there with, with uh, gasoline going to burn the town down and they took pot shots at him and ran him out of town. And then uh, they sent the National Guard. It, it's, it's, I'll talk about it another show. It's, just, it's got so elaborate. But what happened was Thurgood Marshall was so brilliant he got they, they they had the twenty of the guys in that in that in the black part of that town twenty black guys charged with attempted murder for stopping them from burning the town down, and Thurgood Marshall was so brilliant. I mean, he he got them off. He got them off because the way he did it was so slick. You know, he was like, okay, you remember the Klan? You know, when jury selection, yeah, <laughs> you, you know that. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Um, uh, you like you you dislike black people? Yeah, I hate them. Hate hating words. Okay, next you know, stuff like that. So the jury selection, he got a halfway decent jury, but he made the um, prosecutor seem so ridiculous. They had they just had to dismiss the case, and I got he got all those people off, and they were so mad they, they chased him down his car down. Pretended to be the police and were about to lynch him. And a, a white man, like I said, a white people aren't bad. A white man intervened. A white lawyer intervened for the NAACP and saved his life. So yeah, you compare that to Clarence Thomas. And by the way, Thurgood Marshall tried and won several cases before the Supreme Court, before he was even on that court. 
Thurgood Marshall never did anything like that. No comparison. Totally no comparison. And by the way, Thurgood Marshall is from Baltimore City. All right, I didn't mean to talk about that, but I get excited and passionate about things. So what we're going to do is we're going to go um, to uh, Major Gorn. What, she, this is her testimony in front of city council. Now, I came on first, and I just debunked all the nonsense about why they shouldn't do the house program because I was ready for that. And then uh, one of the contractors named Ronnie, uh, Ron Stewart, he got up there, and he explained why the Dollar House program um, – uh, why the Dollar House program, uh, or why the houses could be saved and, and the viability of saving the houses. So then Major Gore came on and she talked about the heart of the program and she expressed completely the upper echelons of our organization's feelings. And this is how we feel. And that would be Ms. Darling Gore. Major Good Gore. evening, everyone. I've heard, um, and I'll start off, I, my name is Darling Gore. Uh, I am a retired major from the armed forces, served 27 years. In addition to that, um, I figured out a way to also retire from the civilian sect of the federal government. So I spent 25 years working at, um, through the federal government and retired from NSA. I grew up in Baltimore City, so I, I, I make the joke all the time with the guys that I'm, I think I'm the only one or I would say just a few of us that are in this organization that don't build and fix anything. So I'm not here to say as a contractor, I can put a nail and a hammer and put a roof there. But what I can speak about is the heart of the people of Baltimore. When I look at the news, and just walk through particular neighborhoods, my heart breaks. Because as a kid, I grew up in West Baltimore, in the Mondawmin Mall area. I also grew up in East Baltimore. And I do remember Mary Pat Clark coming through with DuBurns and just walking through the particular neighborhood. I remembered them saying, okay, we can do this, that, and the other to make this community stand. And I'm talking Preston and Patterson Park. So if we go through there and look at that neighborhood today, it is nothing like the community that I grew up in. And it was so much so to the point for, them, for, for the perception to be there to say that people don't care where my initial job, first job, was Baltimore Summer Corps. And in that job, my duty was to, uh, we got out, we cleaned the neighborhood, grass came up through the cracks, we, anything that had to do with beautification. And I think they even had the Afro newspaper that had an Afro clean block. And we won the award time and time again. So I, I'm, I'm just here because I noticed that as we're talking, we're laying out policies, and I just want to give someone uh, a chance to reminisce. Because what we see today is not Baltimore City. This is not the, the city, it is not the people, and yes, people have left, they're continuing to move because hope is lost. But this is not us. And you know, and we're going to put our pants on every day and come out and work. You know, I worked for IRS for 17 years. Cleaned up, came down, and, and did that look, had that personification so that I could do the role. And then to look back and say, hey, I can't even take a hand and help fix the community that got me to where I was or where I am today. So yes, I'm retired, two pensions, happily, I'm just happy. But I'm not that happy where I cannot look back and realize and see that there are people in that community that are suffering, that do not have the opportunities that I had. Because when I decided that I wanted to go to college, because, hey, that, that's something that we only, we're just trying to hope, hopefully get someone through high school. But when I made my mind up to go to college, that degree was what allowed me to become an officer in, in the uh, United States Army. In addition to that, once college, I, I finished, and you would say, well, what are you doing now? Guess what I'm doing? 
I just finished getting a bachelor's degree in theology. I'm now in seminary. So it doesn't stop. Once it's embedded, embedded in someone, it continues. Our job, our job, I'm not just going to put this on the council people. I'm talking about anybody that's able and has the ability to stand up and say, this is what we need to do to help our community. This is what we need to do. So it's not about someone who's saying, I got a plan and this is the policy. What do you, can I do to help this situation? And then, you know what, then I can really go home and rest. Okay. That was... Uh, Thank you. Very powerful. That was uh, um, a major, Darling Gore, started as a, a private E1 in the uh, military, worked up to, way up to major before she retired from the uh, Army Reserves. Um, I started as an E1 too, by the way. <laughs> so, but I realized, and as she said, if you were listening, she said she wanted to help the community to help get her to where she is. I realized that I would have never, I own a company right now. But I would have never been able to get into the union to get the trades and the licenses I need to own that company, those master licenses, if people hadn't fought for me from the black community to get us in there. Because, you know, I still know the first black man that was in that union. And at one time, they weren't letting you in there, no matter how smart you were, um, if you were black. And it was proven. And they had a consent decree sent down to that union that they had admit blacks. And I realized it was based on the hard work of people who make a lot less money than I do right now. You know what I'm saying? So I haven't forgotten where I come from. And um, these people, these uh, affirmative action Negroes that believe they did it all on their own and pulled themselves up by their uh, bootstraps, like the Clarence Thomases of the world, you didn't do that by yourself, okay? Now, I'm not taking anything away from anybody. Yeah, you had to work hard to get there. Yeah, you had to uh, um, maintain that position and, and achieve higher positions while you were there. Yeah, you had to do that. But no matter how hard you would have worked, had others, working class people, like my mother and my father and others, hadn't worked to get you there, that had no hope of reaching that level, you would have never made it. And that's the problem we have with our politicians and, and a lot of times in Baltimore City is that they forgot where they came from. I have no problem with an Italian, I'll say this time and time again, have no, time, no, no problem with an Italian politician helping Italians in the process of helping everybody else. That, I have no problem with Jewish politicians helping Jewish people in the process of helping everybody else and make sure the Jewish population are taken care of because uh, those are the people who got them where they're at. I mean, realistically, and they know it, and they know they owe a debt to their community. Um, but what I do have a problem with is black politicians looking out for everybody else but the people that really got them to where, where they are. And as every mayor has found out, that has been mayor in Baltimore City. When that um, power structure of Baltimore City is done with you, um, they're done. You're you're out of there. Every mayor, and um, well, Kurt Smoke, he, he kind of maneuvered. Um, but as soon as he started talking about stuff like, uh, you know, maybe we should legalize drugs to cut down some of this crime, they he started falling out of the graces of people. They don't want to hear him no more. And by the way, all the drugs were legalized in Portugal, and you Google this. In 2002, United States told them not to do that because they said that, you know, everybody was using drugs, yada, yada, yada. So they said, look, look how much crime you got in your country. Don't tell us how to do our business. We are sent our smartest people away, and they said this is what we need to do. And that's the day people came back with the answer and said, you need to legalize everything, everything, legalize everything, and take the money you've been using for police and all that and put it into a holistic approach, you know, jobs for the people and things like that, figure out what's wrong with them, psych psychological treatment, whatever, drug treatment. You know, get, give them the real drug, not methadone. Get them off of that stuff. So they, you know, years later, since 2000, how many years is that? Uh, 17 years? And you can Google this. They cut their opioid um, um, uses in half. Their opioid addiction rates have been cut in half, and they legalized everything. Now, at the same time, we've been fighting so hard against it, um, and our, <laughs> our opioid, uh, we have a crisis. It's out of control. It's counterintuitive, people, but the war on drugs has only made drugs more valuable and made people more interested in selling them. And as I have already said and always maintained, that most of the most of the drug, big time drug dealers don't live in Baltimore. That's why tearing down these houses <laughs> has Murray gone down. No, because it has nothing to do with the amount of houses. What the drug dealers need 
is they and, and a lot of the murders are connected to the drug trade. Now you can deny it. I know a lot of people in denial about that. What they need though, even if they don't live here, a lot of them in Bowman County, a lot of them in Oldsmill, stuff like that. But what they need is for their crew to operate in a neighborhood where people are terrified to call the police. And this is why police corruption is such a bad thing. Where people are terrified to call the police and that's run down. They need those neighborhoods to operate. That's why the violence has increased because there's less and less of these neighborhoods that they tear more and more houses down for them to, and they have to fight those drug turf. Um, but let me, um, real quick, we're going to talk about the um, the crime-fighting strategy, the police strategy of Baltimore City. Since I've been here, this is basically what the police, uh, it's number 55, Jason, but, but since I've been here, this is the um, uh, police strategy of Baltimore City, as far as I can tell. And... Um, this is what it's based on. So, look real qu- quickly. It's real, at least from the politician's standpoint of view. This is what it's based on. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, y'all remember Batman. <laughs> Very simplistic. You know, you have the Joker and the Riddler. Batman goes down there with some purple um, tights, you know, and some purple pantyhose. Dark, uh, light purple, and, and then he has a dark purple cape. He beats them up, and it solves the crime problem. <laughs> you know, he goes down there, beat them up, find the bad guys. This is being bad to be bad anyway. Go down to that secret hideout and beat them up. Then you had another show um, that, because they didn't have cable back these days, so we all watch the same shows. Anybody above a certain age know these shows. The other one was, was Adam 12. Um... So basically, what I can tell, the crowdfighting strategy of Baltimore City is based on um, basically what you saw on TV. You know, we need more police, you know, but there are effective measures to reduce crime. Okay, and I'll probably talk about it on a different show, but I know Boston, for instance, has found out, (laughs) well, Adam 12 was just um, Batman with real police uniforms, basically. You know, no drug, uh, gun trace task force, no drug deals, nothing like that. Nothing serious. <laughs> they never, they were always straight laced uh, cops, and I'm sure most cops are good cops. But um, th- those aren't the kind <laughs> we've been used to in Sandtown, Winchester. That's probably the kind of get a rolling part, um, for the most part, because my experiences with them <laughs> weren't that pleasant. Um, but <laughs> and I'm not involved in crime, by the way. Um, so, um. What what crime fighting is more like is is like um, more like uh, uh, the Untouchables, and that was a series because you're dealing with drug prohibition. The Untouchables was a TV show about about prohibition. Um, Elliot Ness was fighting against people that were selling illegal alcohol, gangsters selling illegal alcohol. They would commit murder and everything else. They had one episode is when it called when they killed Santa Claus or whatever. The night Santa Claus was shot. That's how violent these these uh, alcohol dealers were. Um, so. Um, what we're going to do is, um, uh, 47, 47. yeah, let's try that. <laughs> let's try 47. But thank you, Jason. I had a brain, uh, brain fart, but go ahead. 47. And by the way, I recently read one of our department funded studies that found that larger increases in drug related homicides uh, than in any other type of homicide. So these related to drug uh, dealers is the highest and that expansions in illicit drug markets contributed to the overall homicide rate they found. Expansions in illicit drug markets contributed to the overall homicide rate they found. No kidding. Can Jeff Sessions really not figure out why that is? Has he ever done a lick of research on the topic? I'll fill him in. It is our drug laws that caused the violence in the first place. When we ended prohibition of alcohol, we saw a big decrease in the murder rates. Even during the Great Depression, where there was obviously economic upheaval, you would typically find higher crime rates and possibly higher murder rates, but when we ended alcohol prohibition in the midst of the Great Depression, there was a significant decrease in the murder rate. If you're taking a look at the graph on your screen, boom, check out that ramp to the right. So it was the opposite of what you would have expected, which simply goes even further to prove my point. By keeping drugs or alcohol illegal, you are insisting that all the cartels and gangs inherit the entire market. 
If you made alcohol illegal today, you would begin to see the same things we saw in the late 1920s and 1930s in regards to alcohol, and the same thing we see today in regards to drugs, which was an increase in violent crime and murder rates. And why is this? Because the demand is still there. People want to use the substances they want to use, and there will always be someone there to supply that demand. It does not matter how many people you throw into cages, eventually that illegal profit will be taken advantage of, and it will most likely be grabbed by someone who does not mind killing someone else to get it, which is the complete opposite of what happens in the alcohol industry today, where you need to be a competitive business person, and killing your competition, in the literal sense, is no longer an effective business strategy. Okay, anybody been killed over uh, alcohol territory lately? But, you know, back in the day, it was very common. It's very common. You know, thousands of murders probably. Um, so um, what we're seeing is that a lot of this, and, and uh, they had, matter of fact, they had, and to prove more, further prove my point that this is linked link, link to the drug trade, is they had a raid and they um, arrested 90 suspects, according to the Sun paper, um, back around August 2nd. Okay. They seized kilograms of heroin. They seized kilograms, and everybody paid attention to that, kilograms of fentanyl. But what people weren't paying attention is they seized 51 guns. Okay, like I say, where there's drugs, there's guns. Okay, you can't have a drug cartel without guns. That's, I mean, everybody knows that. Even Baby knows that. Um, so what do you think they were going to do with those 51 guns? Were they going to hang out, use them for paperweights in their offices? <laughs> no. They were going to commit murder with them. Okay? So that is the danger of not being able to identify what's really causing the murders. It ain't all of us killing each other. It's not me running around here trying to kill somebody or Jason running out here trying to, you know, figure out a way when we get off work or whatever. You know, it's a certain small segment of our society. And uh, when our police treat all of a certain segment, of, I'm just going to say black men, a certain way when they encounter as the, the universal suspect or whatever, the enemy or whatever you want to call it, then it breeds... Um, uh, not good relations. I'm just saying it like that. And uh, studies have shown that 70% of all crimes that are solved comes by the cooperation of the citizens. Another thing that police need to do is get out of their cars. You're not on a safari, you know, chasing a wildebeest down and, you know, trying to catch a wildebeest. You need to get out of your cars and do uh, community policing. We need to see more of that. Police walk the beat. We don't need a National Guard. We need to police get out of them cars. They're not on a safari. And we are not animals in our community. Okay, so <clears throat> that being said, um, what I'm going to do now, oh, I'm going to do one more about um, what Le LeBron James says about this bootstrap stuff, because that, that's a myth. It came from, I think this guy was German, I, I think from, from something like that. He said that, one of the things they said that he did is he wrote a cannonball, and uh, also he pulled himself out of a hole, his horse in himself out of a hole with his bootstraps. Now, y'all know he's lying about that. I'd like to see that one. Okay, so... What we're going to do is we're going to go to Mr. LeBron James. This is right after he built a school in Akron, Ohio, where he's from. Were you, um, I guess maybe you were surprised, maybe you weren't, the whole N-word incident at your house when you had the N-word painted? Um, I don't know if I was surprised. Um, were you I hurt? don't know if I was hurt. I don't know if I was disappointed. It was so many different emotions. Um, more importantly, it was the conversation that I had to have with my boys that, um, that it was that hurt me um but at the same time it also enlightened me and also knew that no matter as i stated you know sitting you know when i did an interview after that um that no matter how big you can become no matter how successful you are no matter what you do in the community no matter what you do in your profession you know being african-american in america is always tough and they always gonna let you know that you are the n-word no matter who you are and that was just a, a reset. Even when you have LeBron status and LeBron money, <laughs> that it doesn't. You think it's harder to be um, when you see these incidents of just about yeah. people living, just being black, yeah. and what happened to you, your house, all of that. Do you think it's harder now, or do you think it's it's always been there? We're just seeing it because of cell phones and. No, I think it's always been there. Um, but I think um, the president in charge now has given people um, they don't care now. They throw it in your face now. Yeah. Because I believe our president is kind of trying to divide us. Um, he's dividing us. And, and what I noticed over the last few months, that he's kind of used sport to kind of divide us. And, I, and that's something that I can't relate to because I know that sport 
was the first time I ever was around someone white, you know, and I and I and I got an opportunity to see them and learn about them. And they got an opportunity to learn about me. And we became very good friends. A person in my foundation, they they brought this whole thing together and and brought it to me. And I was like, absolutely. Let's, let's not let's not. Oh, absolutely. You can't get nowhere, nowhere in life without help, without, without help. Now, that's LeBron James. So, y'all, you uh, firmly back your Negroes. They're right here talking about nobody. You know, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Now, if you think you're greater than LeBron James, I might take issue with that. But <laughs> he's an all-around great athlete, great man, you know, just great person, you know. Um, and he built a school um, for for children in uh, Akron, Ohio. And that's what that's how he felt. He felt, he, he said in that interview, Nobody does anything by themselves. And um, that's probably one of the greatest basketball players that ever lived, you know? And he's saying that. He's admitting to that. And basketball's a uh, team uh, sport, by the way. So, what I'm going to do right now is um, I'm going to read you um, the uh, an article called Baltimore Housing Overstock. It's the history of the dollar home. And again, it's on our website, www.baltimore4homes.com. www. Baltimore, the number four homes.com. Um, and um, this is the history of the Dollar House program, basically. And it was based on an interview with um, Mr. Bob Embry, who was the commissioner at the time. And I keep hearing different stories about how this program worked. And uh, this is what Mr. Embry said. So you got a problem with this. This is not Tyrone. This is Mr. Embry. You call him up and then you debate it with him. Well, he can call here and, and tell me if I'm wrong. So, okay, it goes here. It was, it's dated April 29th. Um, 2009, and by the way, um, right now our housing, our housing seems to be um, house bad, house bad, tear down house. You know, a person that with vision would say, and this is not the article, this is the type I'm talking right now. A person with vision would say that the vacant house of today are the affordable homes of tomorrow, and we have a, a, a lack of affordable housing stock in Baltimore City. And they're pretending like there's not a housing crisis, but there is. Okay, and this is what we found to uh, try to mitigate it. You know, looking through the archives of Baltimore. And this is one of the most effective programs we've come up with. And efficient. And you get all your money back. Okay. History of Dollar Home. Again, you go to www.baltimore4homes.com and, and the thing's posted there. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Robert Emery currently president of the Abel Foundation. Now, I don't know if he's still president or not, but this is what he's saying. And formerly commissioner of the Baltimore City Department of Housing and Community Development. Mr. Emery managed the Dollar House program the city ran in the 1980s and was kind enough to provide some historical insight into the program's origins and mechanism. The program was created in response to a rather unique set of circumstances. The city had purchased a number of houses in order to demolish them for construction of Interstate 170, a strip of connected highway intended to link 170 to 195. So the city was trying to build a highway. And um, they actually got stopped. They had a lot of resistance. I think Barbara McCausey headed up the resistance at the time. I think she might have been a social worker or whatever. And you had black citizens and white citizens got together because they want to tear down their houses. <laughs> they were like, no, you're not going to do that. Are you, are you insane <coughs> to build this highway through the middle of the city? Okay. Neighborhoods on the western edge of downtown, such as Bar Circle, Audemars, and Resident Light were where the city had concentrated pop property holdings due to public opposition to the 170 construction plan, which is what I just said. The project was terminated because the citizens demanded that, not because they wanted to, all right? The city suddenly found itself as a large residential property owner in some marginal neighborhoods and formulated the Dollar House program to handle the change in the situation. Now, the program had four, and this is a, an unmitigated success, one of the most successful programs in Baltimore's history. history. The program had four key points that contributed to a success, and they list them here. And you can't take, look, you can't take any of these things out <laughs> and have the same work. You know, a, a plan is not just the sum of its parts. you got the synergy of, of the people and everything else in the plan. Number one, truly low barriers to home ownership. Residential homeowners are the lifeblood of a city. Low barriers to home ownership, Okay. Resident homeowners, not renters. And if you're renters, nothing against you, but we're trying to get people out of this renting game. Renting game. You have more power, trust me, if you're a homeowner and your, your neighborhoods are safer because people have more of a stake in the neighborhood if, as all homeowners as opposed to renters. Resident homeowners are the lifeblood of a city. Converting renters to homeowners, it seems like they want to do the opposite right now. 
or attracting or attracting new resident homeowners from other locations maintains the vitality of a place. Now, you're not going to attract nobody from Baltimore County, Baltimore City, unless you have a program with a lot of incentive, like the Dollhouse program. Okay? Investing in where you live is a heavy incentive to, to increase your involvement in community life. Now, I don't know of any community but the historical black community in Baltimore that's been so di- disinvested in. But they're saying investing in the community is a heavy incentive to increase your involvement in the community where you live. Okay, number two, cluster properties. Since the city had purchased whole blocks of properties, it was possible to quickly improve large parts of a neighborhood. So they're talking about whole blocks at a time. This is what our program wants to do, whole blocks at a time. You can't do onesies and twosies like the vacancy value program. You can't have a crack house on both sides of you and you're trying to make a new house in the middle. That's not going to work, people. <laughs> it's not going to work. We need the whole block. We need to control the whole block. And that's the hardest thing to get the, the the hardest thing to get the city to understand is that these things is what made that program work. And the first thing they want to do is is take out the most important things. Now I'll go over that later. Since the city had purchased whole blocks of properties, there's only four of them, so I got two more to go. Since the city had purchased whole blocks of properties, it was possible to quickly improve large parts of a neighborhood. When an entire block of homes is renovated simultaneously, residents can see progress on large scale being made daily. And the investment in homeownership creates financial rewards immediately. Direct loans from the city was number three. Direct loans from the city. You can't take that out because the banks ain't going to do this. The bank is not going to give Negroes no 1% loan to do anything in Baltimore. Okay? So, <laughs> and this is in the black community, by the way. And this is true. I mean, it's been proven with stats that, that they discriminate against us still to this day in housing loans. You know, people with less, worse credit are getting these loans and we still have credit from the housing crisis. And they're still looking at us as a scans when we have better credit. It's been proven. And I, I, I proved that in some of my earlier shows. Of, okay, direct loans from the city. Of course, renovating a home costs more than a dollar. Since the city was selling the house for a dollar, a prospective buyer didn't need to come to closing with thousands of dollars in collateral to get an 8% mortgage on a property. In other words, you don't need a down payment. You didn't need a down payment. And that's another thing about our program. You don't need a down payment. Because the mortgage industry has convinced us that this stuff is necessary, and brainwashed us all, to believe that them taking as much of your money as possible is going to assure you stay in the house. Now, it actually is counterintuitive, but somebody taking your life savings, which is what a down payment is, if you had that life savings, you'd probably be more likely to stay in that house because you have a nest egg to fall back on. And, you know, But we've been brainwashed the exact opposite. We've also been brainwashed that the people that can least afford a mortgage pay the highest mortgages because of the interest rates. So, okay, so, <laughs> and we believe that this works. And by the way, I'm a veteran. I have veteran loans. And um, the last time I um, applied for a loan, they cut my loan in half. They, the only thing they wanted to know is if I paid my mortgage on time for a year. That was it. They didn't care if I had a job, whatever, because they knew that if I'm paying my rent on time, I mean, my mortgage on time for a year, they know I'm not going to go buck wild and not pay the mortgage next month because they cut it in half. I mean, come on. That's just common sense. But you can't convince anybody in the mortgage industry of that logic. And by the way, the VA home loan program that I just spoke about, it's called Streamline VA Mortgage, has proven to be the safest mortgage on the market. And that's what our program is based on in the past seven years, hands down. Okay? Okay. And our program is, is if you've been paying your rent on time for um, uh, a year, and uh, it's twice what you're paying, you're $1,200 a month for a mortgage, and in the hood, you're paying in the hood, and you're paying three hundred dollars a month for mortgage. We don't. I mean, why would you be jumping through hoops to prove you made three hundred dollars a month mortgage? I mean, come on. And you have a job, good. Or you're retired, fine. Okay, so. And then, um, so they, the direct loans from the city at one percent interest, and that's usually the first thing they want to take out when they try to do a reboot of the Dollar House program. The first thing, take out that one percent interest loan. Stupid. It's not going to work. You can't. You can't. And I see Leo up there and some other people, so I'm just going to get through this, and then we'll, t- we'll we'll let you talk. I'm trying to just break it down to the people of what we're trying to do. And we got a few more bells and whistles added to it. Okay, so 1% interest, direct, direct loans from the city, because the banks ain't going to do it. They didn't do it in the last program. They're going to do it in this one. And a dedicated office, which we submitted to the city of Baltimore. We submitted to the city of Baltimore uh, our um, hard costs and our soft costs. And um, the last time I met with city officials, they were saying, um, well, we need to bring something to the mayor. Shoot, we 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 gave you a hard cost, a soft cost. We submitted the SOP, standing operating procedures for the program. We submitted a request for a proposal professional. These are professional people drawing, drawing this stuff up. We are knuckleheads. 
We submitted the article. I mean, you, you, what you're saying is that you want to come back with your version of what we're trying to do, and then and just make it so so it won't work. I guess I don't know, but we gave you enough documents to start the program. All we need is you to source the loans. We can do the rest, and the loans aren't going to us. It's going directly to the citizen, and uh, we're just supplying a pool of contracts for them to coordinate with, and that would be number four, a dedicated office. Yes, which we. Um, a dedicated advisory office was established to help guide the homeowners through the renovation process, as many had not been through it before. And we, we um, budgeted for that. It, the office helped the homeowners connect with architects and reliable licensed contractors, which we have 37 of them. Licensed um, contracts of all sorts, electricians, um, carpenters, etc. They're licensed. They're all licensed. These are minority contractors that are traditionally locked out of um, contracting with the city. And we have them in our program. Okay, that's the other bells and whistles we add to this one. And we want them to train young men in the trades. You know, get them off these corners and stuff. Okay. Mr. Emery, and this is the summary. Mr. Emery considered the program to be an unmitigated success. And if you take a stroll through any of the neighborhoods I mentioned, and I worked in one of them, as a matter of fact, one of those dollar houses. It sold for $300,000. I put an AC system in it. Okay. I put an um, AC system. And it sold for 300000 They bought it for a dollar. Very good investment. Mr. Um, Embry considered the program to be an unmitigated success. If you take a stroll through any of the neighborhoods I mentioned, you'll find them to be some of the most charming places in Baltimore. Consider that the city treasury grew through running this program, and it certainly seems like a win-win for the city government. So the city got all their money back. They got Nobody defaulted on the loans. Nobody. Okay? And it says, read that again, you know. Not a single homeowner defaulted on a loan, and the city turned a handsome profit on loan interest. OK, because you weren't taking all that money out of their pockets. It was very cheap. It was one percent interest loan, which is the additional. When people when people default on a mortgage, it's usually because they end over their heads, not because they're paying too less. OK, I know people, it's hard for people to understand that. But that's why that program worked, because it was cheaper than any other mortgage program. And you had to be a fool to lose that house. And they, and they knew it because you never get anything like that. Another opportunity again. And they gave housing opportunities to people that wouldn't otherwise have them. And um, <clears throat> so, that being said, the, the other objection, I mean, other, other hurdle I'm getting is they don't have enough money. Now, the government announced a, a plan to spend $700 million to tear down houses back in, right after Freddie Gray rise. We call it the Freddie Gray money. And all they're doing is tearing down houses in our community, historical black Baltimore. We could take that money, $700 million, and do $7,000 7, um, dollar house programs. I mean, uh, houses. Brand new. Make them brand new. Air conditioning, et cetera. Train young men in the trades at $100,000 pop. We do $7,000 houses. And Donald Trump came to town. Everybody got mad because Donald Trump said we wasted, we swanned the billions of dollars. Okay. But you know what? Um, let me see. I, <laughs> the, the figure that I read in the sun is that in, in the past five years, and this was dated July 20, uh, some paper article dated July 20th, 2019. And you, I might not, I don't like Donald Trump, but what he said was true. The past five years, Baltimore received $905 million in federal grants for operating expenses and $1.2 billion to the housing department in Baltimore City. Now, with $1.2 billion, we could have did $12,000 houses, and you would have got all your money back, okay? Now, <laughs> I'm going to play uh, another clip. It's, um, uh, Jason, um, let me see. It's, uh, and then we're going to get to the phones. Uh. It was about how John Hopkins, um, the uh, the uh, probably 19, why has gentrification been identified as a um, social uh, a social issue, oppression issue? Go ahead. That's the way residents in Middle East describe this institution. There's a very long and uh, difficult history between this community and Hopkins, one that I think needs to be healed because this new project, this $1.8 billion project, that's really a gentrification project. It will not, it will not come to a good end. It's not a fair resolution to what has been happening, not just in the last 20 years. Now, some of the people, not all, that were replaced mm -hmm. through eminent domain, they were offered some kind of compensation to move, I see right? you, Mark. 
That's correct. So what's, what happened? Yeah, Initially, when the plan was developed in 2000, uh, there was no plan for uh, people to come back. Uh, there was a plan that said uh, these households, these more than 800 households had to go. The majority of people found out that they have to go to the newspaper. I'm not exaggerating. I remember I was there in the church when residents gathered. It was so powerful. People were crying, people were screaming, people were angry. How could they be treated this way? How could no one call a meeting that and, and share with them or ask their opinion? We're thinking of developing this place. Do you want to stay or do you want to go? People found out about it through the newspaper. In, in, in a church, we, we gathered and people said enough was enough. At that moment was when people said that was it. This was the straw that had broken the camel's back. Okay, so now John Hobbs was engaged in spending $1.9 billion of taxpayer dollars because this is a, this is a research institution. And uh, by the way, they pay no taxes. <laughs> they don't add to the tax uh Burden Bowman said they pay no, no 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 property taxes or anything, and neither does the University of Maryland Medical Center. They have too much power uh, over the taxpaying citizen and decide, deciding who loses their houses and who doesn't lose their houses because they pay no taxes. The the um the taxpaying paying, uh, voting uh, working class citizen pays their taxes, but they have no say so in whether or not they get to keep their homes. John Hopkins can overrule them, and we've learned from um, people like. Um, Dr. Ben Carson, that just because you're a doctor don't mean you um, know anything about politics or housing, <laughs> okay? So you might be an idiot in those areas, but you might be a genius in brain surgery, okay? So that doesn't mean, you know, that just because they're hospitals, they need to have control over the city. I mean, that's wrong. And with $1.9 billion, people, or $1.8 billion, I think that was the figure. Yeah, it was $1.8 billion of new money because they already had other monies. With $1.8 billion, we could have did $18,000 houses, you know, at $100,000 a pop, 18000 That's what Donald Trump means by we give you billions of dollars and you ain't got nothing to show for it. Now, look around. You see all these trash lots. We covered on the other show. People dumping, coming outside the community, dumping trash and everything else. And these these tra- these, uh, vac- these vacant lots, they're calling green spaces. They're nothing but many landfills. And when I called um, down City Hall, uh, they said that it's unprecedented. And I said, yeah, because you just created a bunch of many landfills. And these people's communities. So basically what y'all are telling them is to deal with it until we can give land away for free to a developer and give them some of your tax dollars to build on. So this is what we're working with. Okay. And um, let's, um, let's, uh, let's do um, Dr. King about the um, bootstraps. Um, uh, what Dr. King had to say about <sighs> bootstraps. Dr. Martin Luther King had to say about Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, it's got to be in there. Um, well, while we're waiting, we're going to get, uh, while we to pull that up, um, we're going we're going to um, bring Mr. Lee on. Go ahead. Oh, d- huh? I know. Let's do, let's do uh, Dr. King. says bootstraps or BS and there's one that says Dr. King but it doesn't say anything about Okay, it. yeah, bring that up. And then we'll go to Leo. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And this is what we are faced with. And this is the reality. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! That's one of my young millennials. Um, that added that to to it, and uh, I had two millennials. If you follow my show before I um, I left the area the first time, 
I had two millennials. One's in um, Oklahoma, by the way. I'm very proud of him. He's uh, earned his PhD on African-American history, in a section of African-American history and uh, Native American culture in Oklahoma. The other one's an executive downtown. So they, they're very busy men, grown men now. They're very busy, and they're very successful. And um, they, they had a lot of good good guidance. They didn't do it by themselves. They know it. So let's uh, bring up Leo. Yes, uh, good morning, Brother Tyrone Bose. How you doing, Miss Leo? I'm wonderful, and you have a wonderful show. Congratulations. You're a great teacher, and we, we very much appreciate your leadership. Uh, I just want to emphasize briefly that... Uh, Abandoned housing, the maintenance of abandoned housing in urban cities, Baltimore notwithstanding, is by design. It's, it's designed to re- remain or keep neighborhoods abandoned for decades until they can find the right white developer to take over, move the people out, you know, if folks are moved out, and the people they move out, they don't intend for these people ever to come back right. in. And 60% of them, Mr. Leo, say they want to come back but can't. And in the case of John Hobbs, moving those people out. And, and as I said, that's by design. And, mm-hmm. and again, you pointed the finger at Johns Hopkins University of Maryland Medical System, all part of the Greater Baltimore Committee uh, shadow That's government. why we got to watch who sits on these boards. A lot of them are our politicians. Well, they- yeah, they're bought and paid for. Right. And, uh, uh, and, and so keep fighting the fight. For self-reliance, because you're talking a com- you're talking good sense about a self-reliant program that ensures that we are given a fair shake at the table regarding home ownership. Absolutely, justice and, and, and reciprocity. And That's what we're si- looking for. And City Hall doesn't want to hear that. The no, Baltimore, they don't. They the want Baltimore divide and dis- conquer. Have all these little mini programs where they can still do their gentrification project. The Baltimore <laughs> develop- the Baltimore Development Corporation doesn't want to hear it. Of course not. They want to keep folks enslaved. It doesn't and we've benefit got the to big developers. It's, it benefits small minority contractors. Con- our program continue I mean. to take the covers off, and uh, and and we will find our way if we persevere. God oh, yeah. bless you. Keep up the fight. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you calling that. Okay, let's go with uh, Mark. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, how you doing, Tyrone? All right, sir. How you doing, Mr. Mark? Hey, congratulations, man. I, you know, um, I don't see why your program is, you know, hasn't hasn't been up. You know, they say they want to help. Me and you was in the action meeting months ago. They didn't want to help the youth and all that kind of stuff. And then, at, well, Mark, say, the key is it doesn't help the big developers. So, so why uh, bother? It doesn't help the big developers. That's the key. So why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Crazy, it do, that doesn't help the greedy. It's absolutely crazy, man. And, and I'm glad you're on, man. And I'm glad you're bringing this out. And as far as the police, um, Tyrone, I just want the police to do their job. Me too. You know, Me um, too. Don't have anything against police. Just bad police. I don't want you to do nothing out of the ordinary or nothing no, like that. No, we don't need you killing anybody. Just bring them in and let them have a day in court. Just, right, exactly. Just do what you get paid for. Thank you. And man, let it be constitutional. No matter really anybody's rights. But I'm not protect against the police. The I'm not anti-police. Protect the servant and, and, and interact with the In community every community, not just Roland Park. In every community. Exactly. But, brother, you know, you stay on it, man. Like Leo said, man, I, I'm glad you on. I'm glad you out in this. And I'm glad you used the word that you took away all that nonsense that they try to throw in front of you not to get the program, not to help young people. Right, exactly. Because it's all nonsense. It's very easy to debate somebody. When they all they got is BS, you got facts. Very easy. Exactly. I said that a long time ago. I was out in the military. Exactly. Exactly. And so, like King <laughs> said, man, you tell somebody to, to take to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and take away the boots. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, take let's go care. to Carlos. All Thank, right. Thanks for calling, Mark. Call him next week, please. All right, partner. All right, Carlos. We got to be real quick now. We got a few minutes left. Let's try to get everybody in. Go ahead, Carlos. Yes, Good morning. Uh, I'll, I'll just make this comment. Uh, you know, William Donald Schaefer recognized that that was an interlocking directorate that had ran Baltimore, consisting of Hopkins and University of Maryland, Greater Baltimore Committee, and so forth. I posed a question to uh, former Mayor Sheila Dixon. She does not think that there is a high, a shadow government that <laughs> runs Baltimore. Well, look, well, uh, I will say this. I will say uh, this. Um, Martin, when... when um, during Martin O'Malley's administration, um, they wanted to um, use uh, John Hopkins 
Um, they want to make Baltimore a college town using John Hopkins and on the east side and the University of Maryland Mickelson on the west side. And uh, Martin O'Malley said that even though these are private institutions, Martin O'Malley himself said that the city of Baltimore is going to spearhead a lot of this housing. And why do they have so much say-so over our housing when they don't pay no da- dang on taxes? They pay well, no that, damn taxes. Well, those are the chickens that have come home to roost. And uh, thank you for pointing all these things out. And you, you, you've got to do uh, another program on how slavery helped to build those land-grant colleges in the future. Absolutely. We'll, thank we'll, you, we'll, sir. All right, thank I appreciate you calling that. Yeah, we do. You, we do have a function. You're right. Okay, so um, in this program, mainly, as I said before, we're going to go to Byron in a minute. Hold on, Byron. As I said before, this program is mainly to get the analytical basis for why we should have another dollar house program. Because right now they're, they're engaged in what's called divide and conquer. Um, you get give out all these little mini pro- programs. At the same time, you're initiating your um, and developing your gentrification project. And people aren't noticing because you're listening to a few pastors and preachers here and there. And when we can have a massive program of redevelopment that don't cost really cost any money because you're going to get paid back. We just ask for loans. We not ask you to give us anything. We just ask for loans that will be paid back. The last dollar house program, nobody faulted. Okay, let's bring Byron up. Nobody. Hey, how you doing, brother? All right, Byron, how's it going? I've been hearing you for years, and you're one of the few brothers I listen to because you really know what you're talking about. You know, you you, look, you don't just look at the the, the, the front of the box. You look at all sides of it, the top, the bottom, all you of it. You got to, brother. You got and, to. And, and my saying to me, uh, don't look at look, give horse in the mouth because he'll bite the hell out of you. Is that now? Did you have uh, 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 the, the, the white developers? What they're doing is we, we're so happy that they're, they're tearing the houses down. So now they, they don't have to spend as much of their money to clear the land because taxpayers are doing it for right. right. So we're thinking they're giving us a gift instead of saying, "Well, when you tear the houses down, what are you going to do with it? And who's going to um, build and make money off of it? Are you going to replace them with uh, affordable housing? Fields? Affordable housing, right? And football fields and things." <laughs> Well, kids to use, or you right. just going to uh, give give the land over to the developers who can then put up housing that you can't afford living. Yes, yes, that's, what, that's what they intend to do. Yes, <laughs> pay for for them. You know, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Yeah, you're correct. That's what they intend to do. They intend mm-hmm. to get that land away for free to developers after you forgot all about it. And you say, okay, what's well, vacant line anyway? And, and, and why not? we tore the houses right. down for them, so because this is very expensive to tear down real houses. Because you know, uh, we figured they were talking about tearing down, um, spending ninety-four million dollars to tear down um, four thousand houses over four years. We we calculated that equal twenty-three thousand five hundred dollars to tear down one house. So it does cost money. That's not coming out their pocket, though. Because of course not. It's coming out taxpayers' money. But, but we at the state and local level. But we're skinning and grinning, thinking that's a great thing. Right. We're not asking because we don't what's analyze. Happen. You know, we don't, we don't analyze. Do, we don't do that enough. We don't ask what's going to happen. You know, we just look at the, uh, the what's what's in front of us, but we don't look at the future of what's going to happen. And we, we a lot of times we sell ourselves out. All right, Byron, go ahead and close. I got one, I got one more guy to bring up. Okay, have a good one, bro. Please. The show's about, about to end, but go ahead. Okay. I'm you, done. You got anything else? Oh, no, I'm good. Have a good one. All right, sir. Thanks for calling in, and be sure to cover next week. Okay, go ahead, Jeff. Make it quick. Uh, Show's about that. My name is uh, Jeff Thompson, Reverend Jeff Thompson. I also am a member of Homes. I'm calling uh, as a support uh, to Homes. I just wanted to reiterate that I don't understand how the system uh, has it backwards, where they they punish people that can't afford loans and tell them they give them a higher interest rate, which you would think they would lower it. Because they brainwashed us all to believe that stuff, that that if I give you a higher interest rate, it's going to somehow make you pay your mortgage on time. That's crazy too. I mean, that's just flies in the face of common sense. And if I make you pay a high, high um, down payment, take away your life savings, that's going to keep you in the house. The reason why the veterans program works so well is they try to keep your money in your pocket. And that's what keeps you in your house. Nothing well, else. Well, the home program solves a lot of the issues that they claim that they have as far as uh, dealing with the youth and as far as dealing with... Absolutely, because another component is training and jobs training. Go ahead. It it also deals with the blight in the communities. It also deals with the training of jobs, so it also helps the Which has been shown to help reduce violent crime in Boston, by the way. Go ahead. Absolutely. And if, if they... Uh, study the program, they see that it's been successful in many other cities. 
and also that you can see the gentrification is... We can't take parts out of it expected to succeed. We can't take the 1% interest loans out. We can't take direct, direct loans from the state because the banks won't do it. Absolutely. So they want to pick and take apart the things that made it work, and they don't understand why it worked. That's why. Okay, we got to get ready to close because... Thanks for calling, Jeff. Thank because you. we're coming to an end, and I have a whole lot more information to share with you, but an hour is not, just not long enough. I'm sorry. And I thank you all for tuning in to another exciting and informative edition of the Call Tyrone Show. Now, if you want to be informed, you come back next week and we will inform you further of the best way and most effective way to give reciprocity and justice to the citizens of Baltimore and housing. Thank you for your time. OLB Baltimore and WERQ-FM HD3 Baltimore. Brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel.